So welcome to the EuroCleo podcast, Pastime Talking and Teaching History. My name is Andreas Solperger, and I'm your podcast host for today. I'm, however, joined by my excellent colleague, Eugenie Kaltschatrian, who has been working with us for a couple of years now, managing several projects. Today, in this episode, we'll talk about one of them. It is called Who Were the Victims of the National Socialists? Obviously, deals with the history of World War II. Eugenie, can you tell us a bit more about, about your project? Yes, of course. Well, hi, Andreas. Thank you so much for inviting me. Who were the victims of the National Socialists? That is the main question that students across five European countries aim to answer in their own local history projects. It is funded by the EVZ Foundation, which is the Foundation for Remembrance, Responsibility and Future and part of the education agenda on National Socialist Injustice of the German Federal Ministry of Finance. And it was officially launched in November 2021 in partnership with Max Mannheimer Study Center. They are based in Dachau. And it aims to promote place-based history education. And this, this project is taking place not only in, in Germany, right? So we have team members all across Europe and we'll be speaking to two of them later today in, in this episode. We have a teacher and a student from Bosnia-Herzegovina joining us. But uh, yeah, tell us a bit more about where you are working with this project. Yeah, exactly. So last year, students from Belgium, Bosnia and Herzegovina indeed, Denmark, Slovakia and Spain co-created local history projects to unearth the stories of different people that were persecuted by the National Socialists. And guided by their wonderful teachers, Tatjana and Branka, students from the Bosnian team in Banja Luka, visited different memorial sites and museums, creating an exhibition about the victims of Dustasha. You can take a look at their work and tutorials on the Euroclio YouTube channel, and the toolkit will be out very soon. Great. I think with that, we'll go speak to um, Tatiana and Teofan in Banja Luka. All right, so I'm really pleased to have here with me today Tatiana Juric and Teofan Badja. They are teacher and student, respectively, at the same school in Banja Luka in Bosnia-Herzegovina. It is one of only three schools in the country that offers the International Baccalaureate, and they have jointly been working together on this project. Thank you very much for joining us. Pleased to be here. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Andreas. Theofan, shall we uh, shall we just get started with you? Because we would like to hear from you, actually, what your local history project was about. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Of course, of course. All right. Well, of course, our local history project uh, was financed by RICO, but speaking about it specifically, uh, it was about victims of the Nazis. But more specifically for our case, it was um, mainly about the victims of the Ustasha, which were uh, an organization under the government of the independent state of Croatia. And the victims, I suppose, well, generally speaking, were our, were our main motivation because we are their, how do I say it? We are, we are their granddaughters and grandsons. The victims belong mostly to our uh, Serbian nation. And there were, of course, Jewish and Roma victims involved in the crimes. Yeah, thank you very much, Teofan. And could you perhaps just briefly describe what you what you did in your projects? So the activities and the places that you visited? Well, the project itself was, as stated by Raiko, a place-based learning project. 
we mostly visited places in our, well, that were sort of the closest to us. First, we started with, well, the Jewish Cultural Center in our town. Then we went to the outskirts of the town, to the suburbs, where to Shargovats, where there was a, a massacre in a school. And we sort of like spread out in, I suppose, in, in circles from our city, reaching as far as Croatia and Jasenovac and Donja Gradina. What we did on, uh, on those places, well, we mostly explored them, well, just for the sake of being there and seeing the place, as well as exploring the uh, documentation and the paperwork in regards to the massacres themselves and the crimes themselves. Uh, Teofan, I have a question sort of when, when doing all of this and doing the research for, um, for conducting these visits and going to these places where this, these uh, events took place, was there anything unusual or what was the most exciting or interesting thing that you, you learned as part of this process? Perhaps about the history itself, but, or, or in even things that have happened in the past um, mm-hmm. or, or since that. Yeah. Well, to me personally, what was the most interesting? I believe also, I believe the rest of us would say the same, is that every one of these places that we visited left a sort of footprint on us, as far as, I suppose, feelings are regarded. We always sort of left our town, being it being by bus or by foot, with the same thing in mind, and we would come back totally different. Having really felt the heaviness of those places. And I suppose what touched us the most was, well, of course, the subject matter of the project, but mostly personal stories were to us, I guess, the most special. Maybe I can ask you, perhaps both of you in a sense, uh, both Tatiana and Tofan, contrasting that with how do you normally learn about this period in time in your school, about the Ustasha regime and, um, and the World War II period? Yeah, does it contrast with how it's normally done? Do you also have these sort of personal stories coming through or or is this something that you felt was different? From a student perspective, the way we learn about this in schools, now I, I'm fourth grade, I still haven't reached the period of World War II, but well, in, um, in elementary school, uh, and I suppose it's not going to be much different uh, now, we absolutely don't mention personal stories. And I think in this project, that's the key because you can really relate to it. Uh, there's not much you can relate with on a daily basis in the, in the curriculum of, of our school system. There's not much you can relate with. It's mostly just, you know, general information. It happened somewhere in the past, sometime, you know, and we learn about it as if it was a story, as if it happened to someone that has nothing to do with us. But here, and with this project, we've developed almost a personal connection with the, with the victims, having learned and heard their, their personal uh, stories. Yes, and now I can add, in the curriculum, maybe in the last two years, we have an option to learn deeper and more about the Holocaust. But still that is not enough to have space and time to explore all personal stories, all aspects of it, which was really, really beautiful. And we had it, that opportunity in this project and we used it. So in our school system, in our curricula, it's really 
still not possible to learn about the victims in, in such a deep and, and intense, I would say, way. Yeah, thank you very much to both. Deofun, you, uh, you and your peers created an exhibition um, mm. based on your, on your research findings. Could you tell us a little bit about, yeah, about the exhibition and also about the process in, in working together? Mm -hmm. Well, as far as working, to, as far as teamwork and working together goes, I can say that I've rarely worked with so well with people. To me personally, it was really special uh, because, of course, besides besides all all of the the heavy feelings and the negative things that we learned about, and of course, besides the personal stories and the personal connection we uh, developed with the victims. We also developed a really strong uh, personal connection with each other, and we worked, well, I would almost say, I would say flawless together. We were mainly because we were united by a cause, and we were all together because we genuinely wanted to work on it, not because someone made us to and because we were forced to. And really, nobody backed down, nobody gave up. We all if I could say, we, we all uh, fought the battle till the end. And the end of the battle, the end of the project was the exhibition. I think it was really well done. Maybe you, you've probably seen pictures or, or maybe even, even um, you will see it more in detail uh, in the film. As far as the design of the exhibition and the way it was presented was to me personally very nice. And it's a great achievement for our city, for our country, and most certainly for our, our school, as well as, most importantly, for us personally. Although I have to say that I am uh, a little bit disappointed because I don't think that it got all the coverage it needed to get in the beginning. Now that, of course, you know, the local government, I suppose, is to blame. But besides that, honestly, the execution and everything was as perfect as it can be. Great. I think we can move on to a few questions to Tatiana. So as a teacher, what first attracted you to the victims of National Socialism Project? When I saw the title in, in that public call you published, uh, that took my attention because since I graduated from International School of Holocaust in Jerusalem and Yad Vashem, Jerusalem, Israel, in 2013, I've been working uh, almost every year on development of the lesson plans and workshops about Holocaust. So I was in that topic for a pretty long time, and I knew how important that topic is. So I thought, well, that is something which is really similar to those things I'm already doing. And then the second thing which was really attractive to me is the place-based learning, you know, ability to take students outside of the classroom to visit the memorial sites. Uh, I think every history teacher likes that and really, you know, uses every opportunity to do it, to um, avoid simple teaching and use other methods of learning and students enjoy that as well. After that, what I've read in your call, um, Eurocleo published, was um, uh, that the outcomes would be based on competences for democratic culture. And I'm a trainer for the competence of democratic culture and all, already knew how that is important and how great framework of values and uh, 
knowledge and skills and attitudes and the different and very, very effective ways to develop them. And well, I think the first, the fourth important element, which really inspired me, motivated me to send them an application was that I recognized in our school, another teacher, very enthusiastic, very hardworking, experienced in projects. So there was a Branka Ljubovic, my colleague, and she was a literature teacher. And in our country um, for last several years, the, the ministry organized a lot of trainings trying to train language teachers to teach Holocaust through the literature. And she was a part of these trainings. So, so she also knew a lot about that and she was interested in. So it seemed to me that, you know, everything perfectly placed, you know, put put us, everything was placed like in the in one special, unique uh, application, I would say. And we, we put it all together and applied. Uh, and uh, luckily we were chosen. So it was really great news and, and we're really honored to be in this project. It just clicked, I think we can say. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, 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 literally. Yeah, and um, I mean, what we also see in practice is that place-based learning projects or kind of implementing place-based learning in your regular history uh, lessons can also be a bit challenging, especially if you, as a teacher, don't necessarily have any experience with it and it's maybe your first time uh, taking on such a project so Jenna, for teachers elsewhere in the future who are considering to take on this project but maybe another place-based learning project what kind of tips can you can you give to them well, our project was pretty unique and I would use this opportunity to say that it was a multidisciplinary and uh, I would highly recommend it though, although it was not initial plan, like history teachers can do it together without cooperation with other disciplines. But in our case, it beautifully worked and, and we, we love that diverse approach, diversity of the sources. It, it, it enriched our entire process of learning and the outcomes as well. That a part of the historical sources, the memorial sites, we used also literature. So I would encourage history teachers to try that or to do together with the art teachers or with the music teachers. So, you know, lovely presentations and uh, exhibitions and performances can be created. But um, if we talk about the practical tips, start with planning on time, I would say. <laughs> Just be on time and make a good planning. That's really, really important. Make a deadline, you know, and always leave a time and space if something goes wrong, you know, because something can't go wrong. And always when you plan your deadlines, I would recommend just to say, Take into account day or two, more or less, you know, that they, they finish on time. Uh, in the beginning, I would highly recommend also to, when the team is formed, team of students, to do several team buildings. Like our group uh, and our students' team was very diverse and they wrote motivation letters. So we had different ages, different interests, different reasons why they applied for the program. So I was really skeptic in, in the beginning, like how will that function? But again, it tends to be advantage 
because if you have so many different people and you create that atmosphere that of trust and safe environment where all of them can be recognized and contribute in the way they want to, it is a great opportunity for every each of us to, to learn and to create something really, really special. So we learn from each other as well. So um, just for the group dynamics, like several team building exercises, like plan it and take it into account that, that, will, that will really help with the communication issues later on. A third tip, uh, which I could give to other teachers is use the resources you have. And as simple as it is, if you feel or if you know that you need more, don't hesitate to look for the help from outside. You know, it always is some, somebody's here who will know somebody or who will know the author or who will send you a link. So there would be some signs like we had a, several times, like sitting in the teacher's room situation and thinking like, who is a good expert for the World War II in Banyaluka? Shall we go to university? But who can be very, very well well known only for that period and then and somebody in teacher's room will say the name so or you call somebody and then will recommend up somebody else so yeah ask for help and answers and help will appear be flexible as well that's very important in our in our work and in our daily job i would say flexibility is really important and what else I would recommend? Allow students to lead the process. Allow the students to suggest, to, to change, to be as active as possible. You know, give them space, give them tools. And well, in this project, we were just kind of mentors or we were creating an environment where they will do the most of the work, all aspects of the work. And that is interesting. That is also effective because they learn a lot when they're active. And so, so many benefits of that approach. I don't really have to go through, through all of them. It's, it, it's a written literature and proven in practice. practice. Since the, some of the stories can be, as Delpin mentioned, hard to comprehend, what we did and what I would also recommend is to do a lot of reflection activities. You know, we used every five minutes, even if we didn't plan it or didn't have time or we're late and the bus is waiting, we would do we would do reflection activity in a bus, you know, or during the lunch break or during the meal or during the small breaks when we were on the border and waiting for the for the officers to just allow us to cross. So just do a lot of short reflection activities, like how are you feeling? What did you learn? How do you feel? What did you learn? Uh, that helps a lot and just uh, it, it is good for teachers also to know what is going on uh, going on inside of the students minds and their impressions just to help them to sort them out in the end I would highly recommend to publish results to create something because that develops not only a research skills but also their presentation public uh, public speaking skills their creativity all sorts of very very important skills uh, marketing, um, graphic design, what else did we have? Create something which can be published and seen and which can interact with, uh, with the broader world, with, with other schools, reach other students, reach the public, because students 
deserve to be recognized, that their work to be recognized, and they deserve to get attention and feedback for, for their work. Thank you, Tatiana, for these very practical uh, tips. Just to follow up on, on what you mentioned, you already mentioned the importance of youth agency and of giving the space to students to lead the process. And uh, you would describe the role of a teacher in this case as a mentor. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? So what does that mean, a mentor? Mm -hmm. Well, this project to us was, well, that is maybe one of the biggest differences between the work in the classroom and learning in the classroom. I think all societies, like after 1990s, we had that, you know, because of the technological development, we have that shift in education and every country in the world is reforming education, trying to make students as active as possible and uh, change the role of the teachers in a way that teachers will be people who would just guide students or mentor them in different ways. I think every educational system works on that, but in our country still is not developed to the level we had it in this project. So for us and for our students, that was really, really significant. First of all, absolute absence of teaching is something that we work on. Actually, we work on, we're trying to reduce teaching you know, and to use all other methods of learning in our schools. But to my opinion, you know, that still is not enough. But in this project, we had an absolute absence of teaching and uh, students had the choice. Like some of those places, initially, Branka and I, when we applied, didn't even plan to visit. And then when we start talking to them, you know, they would ask, oh, can we go to ESN? We were not even sure that she would go to ESN or sort of maybe state within the borders of our country, which to us seems kind of logical. And then several students asked us to do it. And then we said, yeah, that's a great idea. Like, why would we do it? And all other things, when it comes to exhibition, well, neither I or Branka would be able to, to do it in this way, using the tools, digital tools, they did it. So we can say that they're more, more better than us in, in that sense and choosing the topics. So, um, we were there just kind of if in case that if we are needed or maybe just kind of professionally when it comes to reference, when it comes to finding source or how to quote so we could in that kind of academic reference. In that part, we were, we were helpful. And that was really beautiful just to see them being as active as possible and creating something significant and you're just witnessing it. You know, that was pretty extraordinary. So I have a, a question because you both mentioned a little bit about how an important part of this project was about the personal stories um, that you research and, and uh, shared as part of the project. Perhaps Teofan, if you could, uh, could you tell me a bit more about these personal stories? Is there perhaps one you could share uh, with us a little bit about what the story of, of an individual in this situation was? But also how how did you find them? Very concretely, like how did you find these people? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, finding them is definitely a process that, well, would have been maybe like, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, it would even be harder than today. Today, it isn't that tough to actually 
you know, round them up and find them because, well, with the help of our teachers who know many people, we've been able to get in contact with them and they've been able to share their knowledge with us. Now, I don't know if I could, I could really try and try and I guess one of the personal stories that I could sort of recount, it was, uh, it happened in Draculic, where there was, I suppose, um, it was a murder of people. There was, uh, I, I think they were, maybe teacher Tatiana could, could help me with this. They were killed with pickaxes and uh, working tools. I don't, I can't really remember if they were put inside of a mine uh, or something like that. But you had this one woman who was running away. And for example, she hid inside a church, behind the church altar, behind mm -hmm. the um, iconostasis. Mm -hmm. and a commander of the Ustasha, he was looking around, he, he came to the church because he was looking around for runaways, for people who, who were hiding and I suppose it was just luck that he, he didn't look hard enough inside the church, he didn't look behind the iconostasis so she along with her, I think daughter or something like that she, she barely managed to escape and he turned away in, in the last moment, leaving her as, as one of the survivors. Now, I would also like to mention uh, something related to Shargavat. It's not a personal story, but rather how uh, an example of how the personal stories were, were hidden from the public. In, it happened in Yugoslavia because I guess those stories weren't really welcome for the public because they would create... Well, they would just make too much of a bang. For the government, that wasn't really, that wasn't really good uh, because the government was trying to achieve brotherhood and unity between the people. But despite such a noble cause, the story of the teacher in Shargovac, who on that day when the 52 children were uh, massacred in, in front of the school, she was moved from that school to another i'm not sure exactly where but she was moved from that school from that entire neighborhood from the city and i think maybe even from the republic and she was not allowed to speak again and she was maybe one of the only witnesses that the people could if they wanted to well they could talk to she didn't speak about it and very a uh, very few people actually knew about it until recently, because things after the fall of the regime, things started slowly popping up. And finally, the personal stories, as well as the personal story of that teacher, became more available. Our government, they still haven't really caught on to it. That's why we don't have many of them in our curriculum. They still haven't caught on to the whole thing. But slowly, we are beginning to see and now um, our exhibition is a part of it, we're, we're beginning to see an uprising of those stories, if you could say it like that. Great, thank you very much. And I think this touches very nicely on the last question we had thought out for you to sort of wrap up this conversation, because you, you basically talk about how, well, these past events 
how they relate to the current and present time as well, and whatever regime is currently in charge of, uh, of in, in power, basically. So we often try to to make these connections between the past and the present with all our projects, and I think this is this is no different. How do you see? And I, I first uh, leave the give the floor to Tatiana here, perhaps. How do you see how these projects focus? is in light of today's world and challenges. And speaking also in a country where there has also been more recent uh, conflict, of course, and uh, how do you see it? it links to all of that past? Well, a lot of things can be said uh, about that, considering our region and our rich past. Well, Churchill, I think, wrote that the Balkans has so too much history that anyone can hardly comprehend. Well, unfortunately, in that light, how I see this project, I think it's really important to clarify in which period and in which war what happened, if that makes sense. Because, because often people got confused, foreign researchers are mainly about who is who, in which war, in which period of history because we had so many conflicts and so many different victims and so many different contexts in rather short period of time. And it's really important to clarify, okay, what happened during the First World War, during the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and during the, the maybe War of 90s or during the Second World War, so socialist Yugoslavia. But mm-hmm. if I think about like more universal messages for understanding world today or maybe even future, is I would simplify it to the maximum on purpose. What we learned in this project is that there was a group of people, now we can say they were Nazis or Rustache in our our uh, concrete and precise case, who decided about different groups of the people. They decided, you know, what will be their treatment and their position in society and then destiny. So you have one group of people who would set up beliefs which will create ideology, right? Extremist, right-wing ideology in this case. And they will target different groups of people like Jews. There is a theory, what are they? Who are they and what's supposed to happen to them? To Jews, to Roma, and all other different groups in different contexts, black people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then they dis- and because of their decision, who was not even you know scientific, didn't have evidence, but that's not even relevant. Because of those ideas, we had millions of people who suffered, who were tortured, who were killed. And some of the groups nearly were exterminated. So uh, I think that is the maybe most important message from it. You know, in our context, we we explore victims of national socialism or the Stasha revolutionary movement who worked close to them. But it can't be used in every other context. There were interesting studies in the last several decades, probably heard of it, Lawrence Britt wrote a study, Fascism Anyone, in 2003, exploring and recognizing 14 elements of fascism. And then like every country, every society in the world can kind of explore it and certainly recognize several elements in their own societies. Umberto Eco also wrote about it, 14 elements of fascism. 
Doesn't mean that every society can create the fascism. But what I want to say, I think it's necessary even nowadays, 80 years after the Second World War, to talk about it, how extreme ideologies can be dangerous. And that all starts with the word, with idea, and that we really have to look after it and that we have to be very, very careful. Respect of human rights, you know, we have to fight against discrimination based on any element. When this last expansion of technology happened, I was already adult and um, I finished my university like being young historian, you know, when the Google was founded, when the Facebook was founded and all of those social networks and like, you know, when Android telephones appeared. And I thought like, this is a very, very great opportunity. Like expansion of internet is such a great medium for democratization because it reduces, it reduces censorship. You know, everybody can publish everything. So everybody can know anything. And I see history as a search for true. But what happened is, like I was thinking about that the other day, do we, in the second of decade or third decade of the 21st century, do we have um, more democracies? Did we reach society without discrimination, without extreme movements? Did we reach the level that we don't have wars anymore? Well, unfortunately, we are not. And that is why I think this story about what can dangerous ideas, who would take away human rights to other groups of people will never actually become less important unless society develops in a way that we, you know, get rid of the right-wing movements. Right, thank you very much. I'm very uh, happy to also give Teofan a last chance to, to uh, respond to the same question. If you would like to say something about how you see the, the links between what you were researching about things that happened 80 years ago and how do you see it in, in light of what is happening in the world today? Of course, of course. Well, first of all, teacher Tatiana mentioned this to me, but she didn't currently uh, mention it in her answer. I suppose when we speak generally, participating in a project uh, like this and exploring topics like this, as well as enjoying the fruits of the project, well, as far as other people are regarded in the exhibition, it builds empathy in a world that is increasingly cold and that is grown, growing, I suppose, increasingly colder to itself. Well, at least as far as people are regarded. This project grabs our attention, points us to the problem we have with empathy because we had that problem in the past and we see through these personal stories and through what happened we see what a lack of empathy and love for each other can bring to the world and to the people and because here in the balkans we as neighbors did this to each other these horrifying acts it doesn't matter exactly who is who we were close we lived on the in these areas 
for I can say centuries, which is true. And a lack of empathy led us, led our neighbors to do something like this. And if we don't build our own empathy on a personal level and work on it, we might find ourselves, as our people say, in the shoes of the people who are doing something like this. And contrary to that, we should also, of course, accept uh, building our own empathy. We should also always be observant and always observe the world around us with great attention. Because each and every happening, each and everything that occurs could be pointing to something better or worse. Be it a war, a famine, hunger, maybe a crisis. Even today, as we speak, certain events are pointing, pointing to certain developments. And by God, I hope that none of them will ever point again to such horrors as, as they happened. But regardless, we should definitely, from this project, learn that we should be observant of our surroundings as far as the world around us is, is concerned. And also, you know, Cicero said, Historia uh, Magistra Vitae Est, and that is sort of something with which I would encompass my answer uh, to this question as well as also to remind people that we should always uh, remember the sacrifices of our grandfathers and grandmothers because, well, they're ours. We should always keep them in mind and we should always, and in their example, keeping their example in mind and their blood, which was spilt, we should absolutely look forward or, well, look toward such events never happening again. Thank you very much, Tatiana. Thank you very much, Teofan, for having shared the experience of, of working on this project together with your peers and with your colleague at the school. Uh, just worth mentioning now at the end of our episode that uh, your exhibition is going to be traveling around, if I understood correctly, uh, in Republika Serbska, Bosnia-Herzegovina. So if we have listeners in the neighborhood, you, there will be a chance to, to have a look. And of course, there is also a video that has been produced as part of the project. So we invite all our listeners to have a look. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.